Hello my friends, it's story time and have I got a story for you. The date today is the, it's the 29th of November and at the beginning of this month, on the 1st of November, I travelled to the great and venerable Eiheiji, the head Soto Zen temple in Japan and in the world I guess. Now I've travelled to a fair number of temples, especially in Japan, I've, I've visited a fair few, and this one was really something else. It was a really special experience. I was there just for a, a short four-day meditation retreat, but it was it was fantastic. It was amazing, and it was an incredible experience, and I am going to tell you all about it today. So please sit back, relax, and let me tell you about the time I visited Eiheiji. So first of all, let me tell you a little bit about the temple itself, Eiheiji. Eiheiji is, like I said, the head Soto Zen temple in Japan. This is a really, really special temple. Very, very important. So Eiheiji was founded by Dogen Zenji himself, Master Dogen. Who is Dogen? Dogen essentially, mm, he kind of really created Zen Buddhism or at least what we uh, know of it in today's kind of format. So if you go back a good 800 years or so, Master Dogen, he was a Buddhist here in Japan practicing Buddhism, but he was uh, a little bit unsatisfied with the state of, of Buddhism in Japan, and he wanted to go and travel to find real, inverted commas, real Buddhism, um, so he traveled to China and he traveled around China and that is where he began studying uh, Chan Buddhism, which is kind of the origin of Zen Buddhism. He studied there and achieved enlightenment and achieved great wisdom and great knowledge and insight there in China. And then he came back to Japan and that was when he began uh, promoting and teaching Zen Buddhism. And it's really interesting because when he came back to Japan, you know, Buddhism, people think of Buddhist monks as, oh, you know, so peaceful, so relaxed, especially Zen Buddhism. But Dogen, he had a really tough time when he came back to Japan because there's this guy, he just went off to China telling everybody, oh, your Buddhism sucks, I'm going to go learn something better. And then he comes back telling everybody, oh, yeah, I've got the true answer, I've got the real knowledge. So all of these established Buddhist schools, um, you know, which are, you know, many of them... They make a lot of money, you know, they're, you know, and they're well respected. They have this usurper coming along, chatting all this noise. So, yeah, he had politically, he had a kind of a tough time of it. And um, I'm pretty sure his first temple that he established when he came back got burnt down. I watched a film a while ago, um, you know, like a dramatized retelling of, of Dorgan's life. And yeah, his first, at least one of his temples got burnt down by um, opposing rival uh, kind of monks. So yeah, yeah, it, was, it wasn't smooth sailing. It wasn't smooth sailing at all. But then that's when he went off and he founded Eiheiji. So he, he did have his friends, he had his supporters, and he was kind of bankrolled by a very wealthy uh, samurai who, who really enjoyed his teachings. And I'm pretty sure the shogun of, of the time also respected his work. 
So he went off, and, and so Eiheiji is in Fukui, which is northwest of Tokyo, and it's kind of it's a little bit a little bit in the middle of nowhere, just a little bit. It's、uh, off in the woods, off in off in the forest, up in the mountains. After he was having all that trouble and all that drama, he kind of wanted to remove himself from all of that, and and obviously like develop his temple for for people who did want to follow him and did want to hear what he had to say. So he went off and he began to develop that. So that was in twelve forty four, which was seven hundred and seventy five years ago, that he developed this temple. And since then, Eiheiji, the head Soto Zen school, the teachings within Eiheiji are all exactly what Dogen Master Dogen taught back in the day. And even everything has really been well, largely been kept very. Very authentic to those original teachings. It's also kind of nicely updated. They've got you know some like kind of modern offices in there, and certainly the the monk who organised the 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 international retreat that I went on, he speaks fantastic English, and he's kind of more internationally minded. So it's like a real nice balance between having this real authentic, unchanged practice. But at the same time, they have a lot of visit. A lot of tourists visit the temple. A lot, a lot of people visit that temple during the day. So you know, they've they've kind of kept very、uh, modern as well, and it, it's a real nice balance. So I really put a lot of effort into preparing myself for this practice. It was only a short four days. I wish it could have been longer, and I will be going back, and I will be going back for at least a full week. So yeah, look forward to that. Yeah, so it was only a short four days, but I wanted to prepare for this as best I possibly could. It's because, as well, because it's such a short time, I really wanted to, you know, be in the flow and really get the most out of it. So the whole month before I went to the temple, I was sitting zazen、uh, basically every single day,、um, usually for a bit longer than 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 I normally might. Often I would have two periods of meditation, maybe one in the morning, one in the evening, or I'd have、uh, a period of、uh, seated meditation and then ten, fifteen minutes of walking meditation, followed by another period of seated meditation. So I was doing this every day for a month. So I was really, really preparing myself as best as I possibly could, and I was getting up fifteen minutes earlier every day. Because the wake up bell in AHG is three thirty in the morning, so it's a little bit earlier than you know I might normally get up.、Um, so yeah, I was really pushing myself back because I didn't want to. I didn't want to, you know, drag myself out of bed and be sitting there at, in the mornings as in falling asleep. I know from my experience in the army that it takes you a good a good week. For your body clock to adjust to those really early、uh, wake ups, and I, I, like I said, I was just there for four days, so I didn't want to struggle and I didn't want to, you know, suffer and not enjoy it. So yeah,、uh, for that whole month, I was getting up earlier and earlier, so that when it came to my visit, you know, I'd be a, a lot more energetic. For those who are interested, you go to bed lights out is at nine p.m. So yeah, three thirty is a little bit early. But you go to bed nice and early as well, so you know you, you get an all right night's sleep. You, you you get your rest. So, what were my impressions of Aheji? Well, first of all, I tried to go there with no real expectations. You know, I it's hard to kind of obviously I was very excited and you know I had very high hopes. So the Soto Zen lineage is really 
one of my personal favorite. I've studied Soto Zen, Rinzai Zen. I've studied the Tao extensively, and uh, all all these different types of Buddhism, of mindfulness, of the Tao, all these different types of philosophy and understanding. They're all kind of different fingers pointing toward the same thing. And of my own experience, Soto Zen is really one of the best and one of the ones that I've really found I've got the most out of. So I had really, I had high hopes for this. I, you know, I was so excited to be able to visit there. Such a, such an important place. This was a real pilgrimage. I can't think of any single location that is really more important to my practice than Eheiji. This is, you know, if you, if you are a Buddhist, especially if you are studying Zen Buddhism, this is the Vatican. This is Mecca. There's no other location that you can really visit that is more pivotal and more important than Eheiji. So for me, yeah, I, I had high expectations and I had high hopes. But again, like I said, I try not to set expectations. I try to set intentions. So I tried to, rather than what I wanted out of it, you know, I asked myself, okay, what am I going to do to make this trip and make this experience as best as possible for me? How can I, you know, work hard and get the most out of it? But it wasn't until I kind of left that I really kind of, you know, and once I, once I'd seen what it was like, that I really had a good picture of what my real expectations were. So like I said, I was, uh, I was excited for it and I was looking forward to it. But for those who know anything about me and maybe have heard some of my stories before, when I first came to Japan, I spent a week at a Rinzai Zen temple in Kamioka, just outside Kyoto. Teki Shinjuku, the Kyoto Kokusai Zendo. I spent a week studying there and Rinzai Zen and Soto Zen are very, very, very similar. Um, very small differences in their kind of practice and their technique. So I spent a week there and what I actually expected from Eiheiji, because it is such a grand temple, because it has such a strong history, I really kind of expected it to be um, kind of very heavy and strict and a little bit, you know, kind of tough. And they were strict, absolutely, don't get me wrong. There was one time the resident monk uh, shouted at one of the other guys for kind of looking around during Zazen, like real loud, kind of came down on him pretty hard. And um, they were very, very, very strict about all of the practice, meal time, getting up in the morning, the morning service. Yeah, they are, you know, the cleaning as well, of course. They're, they are very strict about that. But it wasn't with a kind of heavy hand. It wasn't with a kind of dogmatic kind of attitude. I really found that all of the, the monks there that we dealt with, so there was the one head monk, Yokoyama-san, and then the two senior monks below him, and then three very young monks that were kind of in their early 20s beneath them, and the six of them together were kind of, they were our kind of staff. They were our, um, helping us out and guiding us out for our, in our stay there. But what I found was really that they were just so, so welcoming, so patient. And they just had a real kind of, I had this really light atmosphere kind of feeling the whole time I was there. It was really, really fantastic. 
I, I when I was at Teki Shinjuku, and I I and I intended to make a podcast episode all about that before I went to Eheiji, but I actually got a cold a couple of days before I went, so I didn't have the, the chance to. But I will I will make a, a another episode all about that because that was a really really incredible experience. But at Teki Shinjuku, I that that I really found to be much harder, much kind of. Like the monks there had this kind of grave sense of responsibility, and uh, yeah, that that was a lot of sort of like I don't I don't want to use, I don't know I don't want to use the word darker, but kind of heavier kind of atmosphere to it a little bit. But maybe I don't know maybe I'm different as well. Maybe I'm looking at it through a different lens. So you know it, it's hard to say. But but with AHG, I really felt it was just so light, so open and airy and and yeah it really had a, a fantastic atmosphere to it the actual practice of zazen the actual meditation time was fantastic it was great because i had because i applied i think so much effort to prepare myself for it when i was there i just slid straight into it so comfortable really really fantastic and by the second day we were there I was already having some really deep sits, really insightful practice, really comfortable, really enjoying it. It was absolutely fantastic. So yeah, I think my preparation for it was just fantastic. We slid right in. I I, I don't know how long we were sat for, uh, maybe five, six hours a day. You know, obviously each sit was a maximum of about 40 minutes and then you have some walking meditation and then another sit. So, you know, they were, obviously it wasn't five hours straight, of course not. But yeah, a, a total of five or six hours a day. Um, so the seated meditation was fantastic. Some of the other people there struggled a bit more. I had a guy sat to my left who he was, he was really kind of uncomfortable with his posture. I think he said he'd only been really practicing meditation for like six months or something. So yeah, he was really finding it just, just difficult to struggle uh, with the posture itself. But, um, but, you know, everybody's at a different level. Everybody's, uh, has a different experience. So, so yeah, it, it was, it was interesting, but, um, yeah, it was, it was great. We had, how many people did we have? I think there were 14 of us in total, half men, half women. So it was a nice little, a nice little group. And they were all very, well, there were a, a couple of Japanese people. Um, but basically the, the retreat that I was there for, it was an established four days specifically for international visitors so everybody was from all over the world we had an american guy we had uh, a couple from a couple from belgium i think it was and an australian lady and yeah all kinds of oh, a taiwanese lady she was fantastic so yeah there are all kinds of different people there but uh, everybody spoke english obviously so we could all communicate and we could all get on and that was all fine but yeah so we're all at different levels and we all have different experience and different intentions and different expectations you know so we're all on our own personal journey but it was nice that we were all kind of there experiencing it together because one of the big differences between my experience at Aheji and my previous experience at Teki Shinjuku was when I went to Teki Shinjuku in in Kamioka that temple I arrived in basically basically you can arrive and leave anytime you want and you just pay a fixed rate for every day that you're there. So I just turned up and and I was there for a week. So I kind of like slid in to the routine. You know, they didn't really make any 
special kind of like arrangements for me. They're, they've got their routine and I arrive and I get straight in and they, they try to get me up to speed on, on everything as quickly as possible. But at Aheji, it was a four days and everybody arrives at the same time. Everybody does everything together. Everybody leaves at the same time. So it was a very different experience. And, and it was interesting though, because being on that experience with a group of other people like that was really interesting and really different because I'm, I'm sat here, you know, okay, meditation is an internal practice. You know, you are looking within, but I do that every day here at home. That's fine. That's kind of, that's standard, but it's fun and it's interesting to share that experience with other people. It's the same for something like yoga, that that's, you're working on your own body, but it's nice to go to a yoga class where you're with other people and you're all working together. You motivate each other and you share the experience together. So yeah, it's fun. Like even the cleaning period were kind of fun because we were working together. Yeah. It reminded me of being in the army a little bit, you know, just everybody's like, right, let's muck in, let's get this job done. So yeah, it, it's fun sharing that experience with other people. And that's something that I've not really had before to go on a retreat with a group of people together like that. I've never really done that before. So that, that was, um, that was a good experience as well as the actual Zazen practice itself. Uh, I think you might be interested to hear about meal time. Assuming you know absolutely nothing about what it's like in a Zen monastery. Let me tell you about the meal practice. It was the same at Aheji that I previously experienced at Teki Shinjuku. So that I, I actually had a little bit of preparation for this, which was quite nice. I, I was really ready for this, whereas some other people they had no idea what was going on. So we use something called oryoki bowls. They are four bowls with uh, chopsticks and a spoon and various bits of cloth all wrapped up together. And you eat with that. You don't even clean them. Well, you clean them, but not. you don't take them off to a sink to clean them. So let me explain. The, the practice of eating, of mealtime, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, it is a practice. It's a very, very strict, very um, choreographed practice. It's done completely silently. Obviously, at first, the first couple of times we did it, you know, there was talking to explain. But what you do is you sit down in the Zazendo, where you practice Zazen. You sit there you, you with your bowl. And you, at first you read some sutras and then you open your bowl and everything is arranged very, very specifically. So you have a very specific order that you lay everything out and how everything sits and where everything is. And everything is very, very perfectly arranged. It's very similar to the tea ceremony, which was also originally, originally created by Zen monks. It's this idea that everything is done with focus. Everything is done with awareness. It's not about focusing on, oh, you must follow the rules. No, no, the rules are there to give you a guide, to give you sort of a framework for how everything works. So once you set out your bowls, the monks come along and they, they have the rice and the miso soup and, and, and whatever they're serving. And they, they hand it all out to everybody. And once everybody has everything filled up, then you, you read some more sutras and then you, you begin eating. So everything is done with this kind of synchronized kind of movement as a group. You eat together. And then at the end, once you've finished, 
you uh, begin the practice of cleaning your bowls and you clean them with the, you have a little, oh, I can't remember the name of it, but there's like a little stick with a little bit of cloth on the end. And because all of the food, it's all vegan, all vegan food. So you've got rice, you've got vegetables, you've got miso soup. It's all very clean food. So you can clean up your bowls real nice. And what they do is they pour tea, hot tea into the biggest bowl. So you pour the hot tea into the bowl and you kind of use that to wash the bowl. And then you pour it into the next bowl and you, then you clean that one and then you pour it into the next one, you clean that one and then you drink the tea and you, you clean everything with the tea itself and then you put it all back together. And it's, it's such a beautiful practice. It's fantastic. I absolutely love it. I, I want to buy some Oriochi bowls for myself because I, I really enjoyed it so much. It's such a beautiful way to eat. Everybody's eating together. Everybody, every, And once you finish, everything's tied back up. It's, it's just real, real clean, real neat, real organized. The food itself was absolutely delicious. Oh my God, I can't. Seriously, it was so great. It was really amazing. So like I said, it was all vegan food. You had the, uh, you had the rice, you had the soup, you had uh, tofu, vegetables, and it's, it's, it's simple food. And these are the same recipes and the same cooking techniques that they've been using for almost 800 years. This is all very, very specific and nothing's been changed. And you know what? It's so delicious. It's unbelievable. And the quantities. So yeah, okay. You have, um, the bowls aren't massive and you don't have uh, certain, I, I'd call them modest portions. But the thing is that when, when the monks are coming around and when they're handing out the rice and they're, you know, ladling out the soup with the mushrooms or whatever and the tofu and whatever, you hand them your bowl. And then what you do is you hold your hand out flat, palm up, your right hand out flat, palm up, and they keep filling up your bowl until you tell them to stop. So to tell them to stop, all you do is just lift your hand slightly, just a little sign of that's enough. But they will keep filling it up until you tell them otherwise. So if you're particularly hungry and you want a big mountain of rice, just keep letting them, just let them keep filling it up. Not a problem. You have as much rice as you want. As long as you eat all of it, obviously, you don't leave any food. You eat everything that you are given, but you choose how much you're given. So if you're particularly hungry, then you just have a bit more. And you know what? My digestion on during those four days was flawless. My stomach never rumbled. I never felt like I had any, like, like anything heavy in my stomach. My digestion was just so smooth. And, and it felt like, it felt like there was nothing inside me. Not, not like that I was hungry, but just that it was just like, I just couldn't feel any food inside me. It just, my digestion was just so flawless and smooth. It was really great. Now, obviously, it's, you know, you don't require really a lot of sustenance when you're just sitting there meditating all day. Obviously, I do a lot of exercise and in the long run, I would prefer a little bit more nutrition. But but for the practice, it was absolutely fantastic. And I definitely will be eating more vegan food in the future. Like, for instance, especially for breakfast. It was, yeah, really, really just fantastic. Um, and I, I loved it. I know apparently... I was talking to the Taiwanese lady and she told me that she was talking to a, a couple of the other ladies and they, they were complaining about the food. One of the French, uh, there was a French lady who just didn't like it at all. And I, I don't understand that at all because I thought it was delicious. It was really, really fantastic. 
One of the most pivotal moments came to me on the third day. On the third day, it was, I remember it, it was at breakfast. I was sat there. I very specifically remember I was sat there. I'd opened up my bowls. I'd laid everything out and I was sitting there waiting. They were coming along with the rice, serving it along to people. And I had this moment of just of a little, a little mini Satori moment of realization that, okay, so to explain it, up until that point, I had been applying a lot of effort, okay? So I truly believe that your understanding and your realization of the way is reflected in your every action, okay? So in the temple, you are meditating all the time, okay? So whether you're sat down, you're meditating. When you're cleaning, you are still meditating, okay? Just because you're cleaning, it's not like, oh, time to go to work. It's like, no, 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 you're, you're cleaning, but you're still practicing the same breathing techniques. You're still practicing the same focus and the same attention and the same awareness. So whether you're cleaning, whether you're, that's like I said just before, whether you're eating, whether you're in the bath, whatever you're doing, it's the same focus and the same awareness all the time. There's not a moment where you are meditating and then the rest of the time you're just switched off doing whatever you want. Like, no, no, no. You're meditating all the time, every waking moment. That's the I, the final, you know, the final kind of goal uh, is to, to be when you're living an enlightened life is when you are able to maintain that same awareness and that same understanding and that same focus at all times, not just when you're sat on the cushion. So the point is that the whole time I was there, I was really trying to cultivate that for myself. I was really trying to, you know, when we're walking around the temple, when we're cleaning, I was always trying to have that same focus, that same awareness. Like when we'd queue up together to go to morning uh, service or whatever, you know, some of the people there, they would kind of um, switch off a little bit. Uh, like you're not supposed to talk in the bath, but people would go in there and they'd just be like, ah, oh, go, you know, relax and start having a chat and that. And that that's fine. I'm not, I'm not judging these people. You know, like I said, everybody's there for different reasons, whatever. But for me, I really wanted to get the most out of that practice that I could. So I was really trying to maintain that same focus, that same attention and that same effort at all times. But that moment of realization came to me during the third day at breakfast, I was waiting for that rice to come along. And I realized that I felt like I had got up to speed. So until that point, I was, I was applying effort and I was kind of like accelerating. So I was getting up to speed. And then at that moment, I kind of realized I'm doing everything that I need to be doing. I am walking with attention. I am sitting with awareness. Every moment I am doing what I need to be doing. So I don't need to kind of try so hard anymore. I don't need to kind of push myself forward. I've got up to speed now so I can take my foot off the gas and I can coast. I can kind of glide from here as long as I obviously keep applying the same effort, but I don't need to do it with any kind of like real, real or a real concerted push. You know, now I can do it with freedom. And I had that after I had that moment of realization, it, it became so much lighter and so much more easy and relaxed and 
from that point on, every moment, whether it was eating, cleaning, sitting zazen, waiting to go somewhere, every moment, I just felt so free and relaxed. And I was still applying the same practice, but I was just doing it without kind of, you know, without looking over my own shoulder, without kind of uh, forcing myself so much. And that was a really pivotal moment for me. And yeah, that really, that was really quite important. That was the most uh, kind of impactful moment for me when I was in the temple during my practice. But the real shocker, the real surprise that came to me was actually after I left. So we left on the Monday and we we finished at Aheji at 10.30. So obviously that sounds a little bit early, but, we, you know, we've been up since 3.30. So we'd had like a whole day's worth of activities until then. So we finished at 10.30, but I had a bus back from Fukui Station in the middle of the city. I My bus left at 8.30. So I had like nine hours or whatever to to kind of burn before I could go back. So we all went back into the city and I, I got some lunch with the, a couple of the guys and then they head off. Uh, and then I went to a cafe. I burnt some time there and, you know, I was just relaxing. Um, I was kind of uh, talking to some people online. I was reading my book. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I, I, I had some uh, I had some time. But you know what? That time in that day after I left, listen, it was shocking it was really shocking so the only way I can explain this to you the only way I know how to explain this to you is that I felt like I was high okay and I know that there are going to be some people listening to this who bulk at the suggestion of drugs who who sneer who turn their noses up okay look I'm sorry but this is the reality of my experience. And this is the only way I know how to explain it to you. Okay. For those who have experience with, with psychedelic substances, the only way I can tell you is that I had the, the same clarity and balance and awareness that you feel after you have taken LSD. And at the same time, I had this kind of, this kind of joy and compassion that you feel when you're on the come up of MDMA. And this wasn't just for a short time. This was for the entire day in Fukui for a good solid nine hours. I was there and I, I was sitting, I, I was in a cafe. I was in that, that, that restaurant for like the whole day. I had like a lot of time to burn, a lot of time to sit there and, and think and, and walk around the city. And this feeling was just incredible. I've 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 read before when I, I've I've been reading books, people talking about going on meditation retreats and people talking about you know their depth of their practice. I've read before plenty of people talk about how yeah you can have experiences that are as strong as or even stronger than than experiences on drugs where you can feel like you're high and you're you're out of your mind and, and I've read all about that before and you know and and certainly you know I wasn't I didn't doubt them I believed them but I don't know I think for me I thought I thought from a four-day retreat I wouldn't be able to kind of reach any state like that or maybe that, that I thought that it would take 30 years of medita meditation practice or, or longer 
to to kind of reach. I thought it would take a lot more, but like I said, I had such preparation for that four day retreat. I spent a month preparing for it, and then when I was there, from the moment I arrived, every single day, morning till night, I was practicing with complete awareness and complete focus and attention. And after I left, I swear, I swear to you, I have never in my life ever experienced anything like that. It was truly incredible. Kind of once I'd stepped out of the temple and back into the, you know, the uh, the real world, you know, the convenience stores and people getting buses and trains going to work, all that regular stuff. I was looking at it with this kind of different lens of just it, it really shocked me and it was really yeah it was really quite quite um an impactful experience and once I got home for the next couple of days it wasn't quite so pronounced but it did take me a couple of days to kind of come back down to earth and get back into the regular routine it was it was really really quite spectacular so that was my experience at AHG it was just a short four days, but I really think I made the most of it. And I really think I prepared for it as best I could. And the temple itself is unbelievably beautiful to, to visit there and to be in such a, such a prestigious, such a, a venerable place was really a, an amazing experience. And the monks themselves, they were absolutely fantastic. And it took a few days for everybody to kind of, you know, get into the routine and relax and kind of warm up to each other. But by the third day, everybody was kind of like, you know, chatting a little bit more. And even the monks, the young monks, those guys in their early 20s, one of them spoke very good English. I think he said he used to live in L.A. or something. But a couple of the others just didn't didn't speak any English at all. But even even with the with the language barrier, we were kind of we everybody had warmed up to each other. And we when we were cleaning, uh, you know, they were kind of like laughing and joking. And and it was it was great. It was just fantastic. I can't wait to go back. I really can't wait to go back. I, I mentioned to Yokoyama sensei, I mentioned about my respect for the teachings of Dogen Zenji and and how much it meant to me to be there. And he slapped me on the back and he said, you should join us. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> but I don't think I, I don't think my wife would uh, really <laughs> appreciate it if I disappeared to uh, to a temple for a few years. But yeah, it was, it was fantastic. And, you know, I, I've got a couple of friends back in England, uh, one in particular, you know who you are. And yeah, I, I would love to go back and I'd love to bring him with me because it was just such an amazing experience and such a fantastic place. And I really felt when, um, when I went to the, 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 the building that contains the ashes of Dogen Zenji, that really struck me of just like, wow, this is, wow. You know, there's a lot of very pivotal people throughout history. Siddhartha Gautama, Lao Tzu, Marcus Aurelius, you know, I love him. And they, they all died a long time ago, a real long time ago. They're all gone. But Dogen Zenji, he has had such and such a huge impact on Buddhism and especially on what we have as Zen now. And for his ashes to be there, it's like, this is the remains of Dogen Zenji himself. That was really like, wow, that, that, that was, whew, that was really quite special for me. If you are interested, please go online. You can go on the website and you can look 
at the different courses that they provide. They have a, a really nice hotel that they've, they've just built themselves. It's kind of like an extension of the temple. Uh, just outside the temple, they've got this beautiful, beautiful new complex that they've just built. So if you want to go there and you want to visit, you know, you can visit any time and you can stay in that hotel. That's fine. But if you want to actually stay in the temple and join in the, the daily practice, that's something else entirely. But you can look online and you can look at what's available and you can apply and you can visit yourself. And if you practice meditation, especially you follow Zen Buddhism, I can't recommend anywhere more strongly. Thank you for listening to me tell my story of my experience at AHG. It was really, really so special for me. It was a really profound experience. I, I enjoyed it a lot. And like I said, I will definitely be going back. Absolutely for certain. I think I said to you in last week's episode that the next one would be about a Zen timer that I want to give you. I will be recording that podcast next. But this is something I really wanted to focus on while it was fresh in my mind. But yeah, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found it interesting because it was, it, for me, it was really a spectacular experience. And, and I just, I just love to be able to share that with anybody who's interested. If you've been to AHG or if you have any recommendations of any way you think that I would like to visit, please let me know. I am definitely up for any recommendations of any, anywhere really special. So until next time, keep practicing. <laughs>